This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Friday, TGIF. It's not just any Friday. It's Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I still feel full. I didn't even feel like I ate that much. Now, uh, when I'm at my uh, mother-in-law's, they don't do like we do when I'm at, I'm at my mom's or my aunt's or my, uh, you know, my dad's, where it's just eight or nine courses of perpetual eating, yet somehow I found a way to eat, still eat a great deal because I am still feeling full. My goodness. I'm imagining some of you are in the same boat. And uh, I don't think we'll get a break today because uh, we're going to my cousin's and um, we're slated to make ravioli. So I doubt it'll be a light eating day. We'll see how that goes. All right, we're going to do denunciations in just a bit. Uh, if you have comments, questions, thoughts on anything that we're talking about, you can join us at 800-848-9222. Coming up in about 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to a gentleman by the name of Roger Cabler who is obsessed with Robin Williams. So much show, so much so that he's now doing a live stage show all about Robin Williams. I'm a big fan of Robin Williams and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with um, Roger about his life, his legacy, etc. And uh, we're going to do denunciations in a minute. Now, I'm not in studio today, so I have asked Tony to fax all of the articles over to the hotel. Thankfully, they do still have a, uh, a fax machine. Matt Blaze, do, do you know, do you have any idea how that um, faxing is, is coming? I will get that going right now. All right, if it doesn't come to fruition, we'll, we'll make do without it. How are you holding up, Mr. Uh, Josh O'Brien? I'm doing great over here. Do you think it's a little warm in here? I'm pretty comfortable myself. You are? Yeah, I mean... I could deal with it a little cooler, but I'm afraid to ask anybody to, about the temperature because then they may say, why are you doing a radio show in the middle of that lobby? <laughs> but so far, no one seems to mind. No one even really seems to notice us. Better up to keep it quiet. I yeah, think. I think you're right. Yeah, okay. Um, you know what's kind of cool? They do have an actual radio in the lobby. It looks kind of new. It is AM. It is FM. I would own that radio. looks great kind of an old-school hotel radio because I noticed in our room it didn't look like it had a radio it just had uh, I think a, a spot for a phone to play music but in the lobby they have a radio I tried to I tried to uh, f fiddle with the dials but it didn't work out Matt I'm sorry you said there's um there's no way to fax these not that I know of. All right, so be it. All right. The second I walked in, I saw that radio. I knew that was the best omen we could have. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. No, I mean, knock on wood. We're still uh, doing on his own. All right, so I will try and do my best reading these articles from a, or my notes on these articles from a computer screen since uh, we are, we are facts-challenged. Not fact-challenged, but facts-challenged. Without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... Denunciations. I, I really have to begin by denouncing these protesters at the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade today. I, I have no issue with anybody protesting anything. 
But the, these pro-Palestinian protesters, and again, you want to be a pro-Palestinian protester, pro-Israeli protester, pro-whatever, God bless you. I, I love the First Amendment, and I think you should be able to protest anything you want peacefully, as long as you're not bothering anybody. But what these people did, while they were chanting and singing, Palestine will be free, they glued themselves to the street along the parade route. And you have this group of protesters along the parade route unfurling a large banner and, oh, they were also calling for an end to fossil fuels while supporting the Palestinians in Gaza. So at least they're on message, right? They're both <laughs> against fossil fuels and supporting the Palestinians in Gaza. But you had these protesters wearing white jumpsuits dousing themselves with red liquid and gluing their hands to the street to try to disrupt the parade. I love the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I mean, not that I was awake for any of it, but it's it's a fun thing. And it's something that children really enjoy, uh, both watching on television and watching in person. Why you would want to disrupt an event that um, children and families really enjoy on a holiday to promote your cause is beyond me. Not because it, it's for no other reason than it's it's ineffective. I mean, I guarantee you all these people that glued themselves to the street and disrupted the parade or sought to disrupt the parade and the parents of these six-year-olds and five-year-olds that had to watch these people douse themselves in what looks like blood, these people will never, ever embrace the cause of somebody that, uh, that does this. I guarantee you it w if these people were agnostic, on the Middle Eastern conflict, they're now the biggest pro-Israel supporters there are because these people are all saying to themselves, look at these jerks. Oh, is that who we're, we're going to be siding with? No, thank you. So uh, to these people that are gluing themselves to the street in an attempt to disrupt the parade, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Abigail Zwerner. A Abigail Zwerner is a strong candidate for worst parent of the decade. She is the mother of the six-year-old who shot the Virginia teacher. This woman, uh, Abigail Zwerner, uh, excuse me, Abigail Zwerner is the teacher. See, this is what happens when I'm reading just from a computer screen and I don't have my notes in, uh, in front of me. The, the mom was sentenced to 21 months in prison uh, after her six-year-old shot his school teacher with a gun that she had bought illegally. So the uh, Abigail Zwerner, the first grade teacher who was wounded, was hailed as a hero. So don't misunderstand me at all. Uh, because even after she was hurt, she did whatever she could to help these uh, first graders evacuate. So my um, denunciation is going to Deja Nicole Taylor. And she pled guilty to possessing a firearm while using a controlled substance and making a false statement while purchasing a gun. Ask me if I'm shocked that this woman was on drugs. I mean, just ask me. You mean somebody that would raise a child that uh, takes an illegal gun to school at six years old to shoot their teacher? Yeah, I I'm not at all shocked that this person is on drugs. I'm not trying to make light of substance abuse. I think we've all known people that have uh, battled with addiction. But there comes a point where it, you have to have at least a little bit of 
responsibility for your child. I, I can promise you Carmine will do many things between now and the time he's six. Shooting his teacher with a gun that I have purchased illegally while I am on drugs will not be one of them. So I, uh, I absolutely do denounce you. I must also denounce this uh, Ohio man, Hashem Ayad, 20 years old, who lied about being the victim of an anti-Palestinian hate crime. This is another situation. So this fella told the Cleveland chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, which has an interesting history in its own right, that a driver had hurled anti-Palestinian slurs at him and hit him with his car. Now, the police are investigated, as they should. And shockingly, the event didn't happen. Uh, this gentleman, Mr. Ayad, said he lied about the entire encounter, encounter and that his injuries had come from a fight with his brother. This drives me nuts. I mean, if it's bad enough that there are real um, jerks out there that are going to hurt, maybe even kill people because of their ethnicity. But the fact that you would lie about it to kind of gin up even more hostility among uh, Arabs and Jews or whatever you're trying to do here, it's absolutely despicable. So, um, Hasham Ayed, I do denounce you. In a similar vein, I must denounce Hadassah Baz Kravani. This woman is a, a real winner. She So a, a gentleman is in the park, happens to be wearing a Palestinian scarf. He's with his son, young son, playing in the playground. This woman, on November 7th, hurls a piping hot cup of coffee into his face. This man did nothing other than wear a Palestinian scarf. This, that was all it took. That was all it took for this woman to uh, hurl this piping hot cup of coffee in this guy's face. And uh, Ashish Prashar, the victim, uh, recorded the whole confrontation. This is all while he's watching his 18-month-old son play with another boy. This woman, Miss Baskravani, approaches him and she said, Do you support Hamas? Do you know they're terrorists? Prashar was born and raised in London. He's of Indian descent. He's wearing a keffiyeh, a headscarf that, you know, is worn by a lot of Palestinian men. He's not Arab. He's, um, he, you know, he's English and Indian and presumably American. Then... She says, her, this guy's people are dogs. Do you know your people burn babies? I hope someone burns your baby in an oven. Then Prashar takes out his phone to record the incident. The woman just goes crazy. The man picks up his son. She charges towards them, first throwing her phone at them, and then a cup of scalding hot coffee. Thankfully, neither Mr. Prashar nor his son were injured in the attack. People need to chill out. I know a lot of us are very passionate about international affairs, about politics in this country, about whatever. There is no excuse for the world going crazy as we seem to be doing. On that note, uh, I have to also denounce Stuart Seldowitz. By now, you've probably 
heard about this story. Uh, this gentleman was working with Gotham Government Relations, very big lobbying firm here in New York. The head of Gotham Government Relations has been on the show many times, David Schwartz. And he, this gentleman, Stuart Seldowitz, had also been a former security advisor to uh, uh, Barack Obama. And this guy goes out of his way to um, basically verbally assault a halal food vendor in Manhattan, calling him a terrorist. Now, I don't know that this guy should have been arrested, but I think his uh, conduct is certainly something that calls for a denunciation. Mr. Seldowitz, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Brian Casella. Brian Casella is a very interesting person. Brian Casella lives in the state of Connecticut. He's a party planner, and he created a fake medical study in order to satisfy his abdominal fetish. This is a guy for a f that has a fetish for women's stomachs. And he crafted this, uh, I think you can only describe as a creepy, fake medical study that allowed him to caress and photograph his employees' stomachs for nearly a year. A year. I, um, I don't understand this one at all. I, I don't know at, I don't understand how at no point during the year of him caressing these women's stomachs does he say, you know, Maybe I should quit while I'm behind here. Sure enough, he kept up with it. I don't know how he didn't think he was going to get caught. Didn't he assume that eventually people would want to see this study that he was supposedly putting together? I, I guess not. I have to once again denounce the uh, New York City Department of Corrections. Nobody's doing a particularly good job running uh, jails or prisons from what I can see. New York is doing a particularly bad job because an inmate convicted of shooting at two Queens police officers more than a decade ago, was back on the streets. Why? Was his sentence up? No, that would make sense. He was accidentally released from a Manhattan prison, the, Manha the uh, Metropolitan Detention Center in Manhattan. Antonio Almeida, 65 years old, wrongly discharged from the Metropolitan Detention Center. Thankfully, he was apprehended and remanded back to jail. You have one job if you're a jail. It's just to not let people leave. Not let the inmates leave anyway. How this gets screwed up so often is beyond me. So, Metropolitan Detention Center and the New York City Department of Corrections, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Sandra Smith. I'd like to think I'm a decent son-in-law. My mother-in-law may disagree, but I... I think I'm a lot better of a in-law than Sandra Smith is. Sandra Smith is the daughter-in-law of a dead woman who stole a half a million dollars in pension and social security payments from her dead mother-in-law. This is a Georgia woman, Sandra Smith, who collected nearly a half million dollars in her dead mother-in-law's pension and social security payments over the course of 15 years. Thank goodness this was caught by the New York State controller Tom DiNapoli because who knows, this probably would have gone on forever. This woman served as caretaker for her mother-in-law and she continued to collect her payments after her death 
in 2006. And she has just kept cashing these checks to the tune of half a million dollars. So there you have it. She's pled guilty to this, by the way. So it's not, she doesn't have the presumption of innocence. She's admitted that she's guilty. Hey, who, I must announce the People's Funeral Home in Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi, I believe. Um, similar to my comments at the uh, about prisons, when you're a funeral home, you really have one job. Bury dead people. And a grieving Mississippi family was shocked at their relative's wake earlier this month when the wrong body was laid out in the casket wearing their loved one's clothing and jewelry. Now, it's one thing to bury the wrong person, which is bad enough, but to bury the wrong person and actually put on the right person's clothing, it's doubly insulting. So, um, and, and presumably that means somebody else's wake got screwed up as well. So to the, um, maybe whoever's running the uh, funeral home in Jackson, Mississippi, the uh, people's funeral home should be in charge of the Metropolitan Detention Center in New York because it seems like they're kindred spirits. Uh, people's funeral home, I do denounce you. I want to denounce as well the vandals of uh, Congressman Dan Goldman. I'm no fan of Congressman Dan Goldman, but his office was defaced with all sorts of uh, anti-stick uh, graffiti, He, along with phrases like blood on your hands, spray painted on the uh, Congressman's office. Again, uh, whether it's Mr. Seldowitz, whether it's the woman throwing hot coffee at a man holding his 18-month-old son, whether it's these people gluing themselves to the street to disrupt the Thanksgiving Day Parade, or these lowlives that are uh, defacing people's offices with these slogans. Where does it end? Where does it end? I don't know what you think you're accomplishing. Do you think Dan Goldman is going to go to his office and see um, blood on your hands or free Palestine, and he's going to say, oh, you know, I'm not for Israel anymore. Or do you think you're going to win over some of his constituents? Who do you think you're appealing to? I, I just um, don't get it at all. And as is so often the case I'm, when I'm making notes throughout the, way, the week, um, I made a note that I wanted to denounce the New York Historical Society. And... I don't know why I wanted to denounce them. Clearly, they did something this week that I didn't like. What they did, I can't recall. But clearly, it merited me writing down that I wanted to denounce them. If you have any idea what they did, maybe that's yet another cultural institution that has banned me. If you have any idea what they did, uh, give us a call, 800-848-9222. That concludes this week's edition of Denunciations. Josh, any, uh, any response, any reaction? What do we think? I think that it's really late, and I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. <laughs> All right, give us some, as I alluded to earlier, you're, you're very into astrology, something of an expert in astrology. Um, anything that you can tell about where the country's going, where the world is going for the foreseeable future based on, I don't know, the stars? Well, I was on your show about three years ago, and I mentioned that... Um, Although my uh, personal area of study with astrology is personality astrology, sort of psychological astrology, 
who we are, why we do what we do as individuals, what our sort of programming is and all of that. I think it's super fascinating. Um, sort of things you discuss um, uh, with psychoanalysis, a psychologist, those characteristics that we have, we can actually see that in the astrological birth chart. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing if you really care about the mind and why we do what we do. That being said, three years ago, I realized that astrologers that were worth their salt had predicted um, an event that was basically what COVID was. That uh, in 2020 through about 2023, um, not only was um, there going to be some large-scale sort of uh, world event that was going to change things up, but that um, even more so that the nature of uh, life on this planet is cyclical. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the cultures uh, over the, the past thousands of years have recognized this, that life on the planet occurs in a cyclical mm -hmm. nature, and that in this case, in 2023, the institutions, which would include things like the corporations, nations, borders, uh, the structure of life on this planet was going to be shaken up, and that specifically um, the world powers, the people at the top, get turned over about every 250 years. And historians, going back to your historical society, have brought this up, that the Dutch had their empire, the English had their empire, the U.S. has had its empire, and uh, these last about 250 years. Well, we see that correlation in astrology. We see that when Pluto goes into the sign of Capricorn, mm -hmm. which is one-twelfth of the segment of the 360 degrees of space around our planet, that the world gets shaken up, right? Borders move, nations battle, nations war, institutions and governments rise and fall. And as we discussed last hour about the uh, move towards globalism and then the resistance against it, in the last decade or so, and all these nations electing these uh, nationalistic presidents and leaders, we're seeing this right now correlating with the astrology that uh, there's a lot of disharmony, a lot of war sort of uh, taking place right now, or at least the, the, the uh, ramblings of war, right? What's the word I'm looking for, right? The gears of war right. are starting to ramp right. up. And um, not something I look forward to, but it is something that's been predicted for many years only because it's cyclical, and uh, historians have confirmed that. So, so if, we th if people thought that they r rode out the storm and happy days are here again, you're saying that's not the case. Yeah, and I'm, I wish I had uh, something more optimistic to state here, but I think that the things we're seeing right now are the, essentially the harbingers of things to come. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You're really going to bed. Yeah, I think so. All right. Oh, I can't begrudge <laughs> that. All right. Keep listening. Josh, always great to, uh, to spend time with you. Happy Thanksgiving. I'll see you Saturday for yes, Carmine's sir. birthday yes, party. Sir. Looking Two days to it. after his birthday. So um, if you buy the Thanksgiving birthday theory. Uh, Josh O'Brien, check him out on the YouTube Learn, Think, Build. You can follow him there or uh, subscribe to his channel on Rumble. Just uh, search Josh O'Brien LTB. Thank you. Talk soon. Thank you, Frank. All right. We're going to talk Robin Williams with uh, Roger Cabler in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is hard to believe, but it has been over nine years since we lost uh, one of the greatest comedians and comedic actors of all time. Not just a comedic actor, though. He was someone that was terrific in dramatic roles as well. Uh, Someone that was an Academy Award winner an Emmy Award winner that was loved by critics, was loved by audiences, and seems to have been loved by his colleagues. That's right. Talking about Robin Williams, whose work, whether as a a voiceover actor or a conventional actor, a TV actor, a film actor, still lives on through so many of the great projects that he took on, whether it's Mork and Mindy, whether it's Mrs. Doubtfire, whether it's Good Will Hunting, whether it's Good Morning Vietnam, whether it's Patch Adams, uh, the list goes on and on. And to think that uh, he died at only 63 years of age, taking his own life after being diagnosed apparently with Parkinson's disease is just uh, a horrible tragedy. He was somebody that still had so much left uh, to give to the world, clearly was so gifted with talent. And if you're a Robin Williams fan as I am, I think you'll probably appreciate the efforts of Roger Cabler, who's an actor, a comedian, a writer, and he's now channeling Robin Williams in the film and stage show, Being Robin. Kind enough to get up early with us this Thanksgiving weekend. Roger, hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Thank you, Frank. I, uh, that was a beautiful introduction. Uh, I had to have a giant piece of pecan pie and coffee to achieve awakeness for this intense little moment. Whoa. <laughs> And I'm having a little Robin moment, too. It's strange. I'm sitting in my car outside a very scary hotel. Good morning, ma'am. No, I'll be right with you. Um, (laughs) No, I don't have any money. No. Please, please. I have here. Here's some trail mix. Good night. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Come on now. I appreciate that. Hey, (laughs) Roger, uh, before we get into what these last nine years have been like for you and what you're going to be doing in the show being Robin, Mm -hmm. what was so special about Robin Williams? There's a lot of very funny people out there. There's a lot of people that are good actors. There are a lot of people that seem like nice guys. What was it that made Robin Williams unique? Well, Frank, I want to correct you on one thing, okay? He died of something called Louis Body Dementia which is 
It's a cousin of Parkinson's, but it's a darker cousin. He was suffering vivid hallucinations um, and terrified, and he was immobile, and he couldn't think right. He couldn't speak right. It was way worse than anything that anybody knew about, and he couldn't live with it anymore. And that's what happened there. A lot of people are like, no, he's so selfish. Mm, uh, you know, if he, it, it, it was just un, unbearable, apparently. And this is what triggered my reaction towards him, because I've always loved him. And he was special. He was an extraordinary spirit. And, 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 and in, in a way, he permeated us. He stayed with us in some weird way. And so after his death, it was even more, oh, yo, it was more powerful than, more power than a speeding speedball. You know what I'm saying? It was, whoa! And when he died, it got into me. Because I had been impersonating for, for years. Uh, he was part of my show, among other impressions. But his, his presence and the way people felt about him was so strong that here we are, nine years later, I'm still doing this show. I made a movie. And he stayed with me in, in a strange way. Um, I don't want to say possessed because that's people like, oh, my God, how dare you? And it's not that I'm trying to prove it. I'm just feeling like he is with me and he experiences things through me, maybe sometimes. Well, I want to ask you about that. But I mean, yeah. as an entertainer, uh, putting aside this unique connection that the two of you have with one another, what was it that made him so great? What was it that made him uh, unique among other entertainers? Well, I heard it was no, never mind. It was uh it was his brain. It was his incredible brain. He was a smart dude. He was really really lightning fast and and he had a deep desire to make you happy. And when you find somebody like that, people pay attention. And I think he was a Buddha. I think he was one of the great great spirits. I mean, it's indescribable. The effect that, you know, when you think about where were you when Kennedy died, John Lennon, the whole world grieved Robin Williams, not in just a national level, but a global. Mm. It became, everybody was affected. Everybody you talk to is still, I can't believe it. How could he be gone? And he isn't. He really well, isn't. So what made him so special? He's a brilliant actor. And he was totally free. He was a child who liked to play, and he liked to play with you. You're his play friend. Billions of people were his play friends because that's, that's how he reached you. He played with you. And that's what I try to do with the audience. I go out there and play with them. I don't always know what's going to happen either. That's what he did. Yeah, we're talking hey, with whatever Rock. whatever happens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're talking with uh, Robin uh, Cabler. If you want to learn more about uh, him and his work in bringing Robin Williams back, uh, you can uh, go to beingrobinthemovie.com. That's uh, beingrobinthemovie.com. Um, so talk to me about what happened when he died. A lot of people were sad. A lot of people were oh, upset. But yeah. you you alluded to some sort of spiritual connection. Right. Describe it for us. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to try to keep it short because I tend to... It's, you know, being up at this hour. It's like... I get it. Talking? Believe no, me, I get just it. Do a sentence or two. Well, you're very good. I've been listening to you and you get this. I mean... We're gonna wake and the up. fact that you were able to stay awake is uh, is an impressive oh, thing. Oh, I did not stay awake. I, <laughs> I had many multiple alarms going off. It was like the beginning of Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, you know, all the bells. 
Anyway, um, so the question was... When, when Robin Williams when died. died, what yeah. happened? Okay, so um, you have to understand that I had already dropped out of show business because of a drug and alcohol and mental illness problem. I have crazy foam in the corners of my mouth right now. As we speak, I'm just foaming because I'm excited to be awake and with you. So Robin had a similar thing. When he passed, I was minding my own business because I wasn't in show business because I was told to stay out of show business. And I became a painter. I do portraits and puppy dog pictures and, you know, just making a humble living in Massachusetts in the woods. And when he died, it was like a couple weeks, days later, it hit me so hard because people were asking me, hey, dude, you going to do like a tribute? And I'm like, no, I'm retired. I'm not doing a tribute. But then I went and made a face in the mirror. I made a Robin face and bam, it hit me so hard. All of a sudden, I was in the grips of the spirit. It was like when God, when you're in church and the spirit gets a hold of you, baby, you're going to rock and roll, baby. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, I'm seeing visions. Yes, but they weren't good ones. I'll tell you this right now. I experienced his death. Ah! It was horrible. And I'm not trying to make a story fun. I can't even tell you the degree that at that point I wasn't watching it. I was experiencing it as Robin, not as me going, oh, poor baby, and not like a Scrooge thing like, you know, Ghost of Christmas Future. It was, I was Robin. The moan coming out of my mouth as I watched myself go was Robin's voice. And the hair on my arms grew hairier. So what are you going to do? And I moaned on my girlfriend's shoulder. I was crying my eyes out. It was a spiritual experience, man, but it was really dark. So the thing that, and you have to go through that in order to get to where I got, which is a very joyous place. So, so tell me about this film, Being Robin. Again, people can yeah. check out the trailer, and uh, we're going to play the yeah. trailer um, as well. But t- tell me about Being being Robin. So after doing this thing that happened with me and after he died, people were asking me to do a tribute, and Robin was hanging around. I, I accepted the fact that perhaps I was touched, maybe an empathic experience, I don't know. I'm also mentally ill. I got bipolar. My magical thinking. Oh, I always have to be lucky mind, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? And Robin pops out. He experiences my girlfriend in a funny kind of personal way. Whoa! <laughs> no. She goes, what are you doing? It's not me, honey. It's Robin. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, great. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm not just... Twit, I, you know, and then he was grabbing my paintbrushes and, oh, look, Pascal. And I was like, no, you can't be here. And the weirdest thing that happened was I was walking in the woods, Frank, and uh, minding my business, not thinking about him or anything else. And out of my voice came, I miss my kids. And I was like, what? And it was not anything that was expected or, or wanted. But I suddenly realized, like, okay. Let's uh, consider this as possibly real. And, and I've been disrespecting Robin. I threw him out. He was asking something of me, maybe. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? You know, okay, what? I want to go back to work. You know, that's what I kept hearing. I want to go back to work. Let's go. Come on. This be a good time. Come on, let's do this. And I realized that, okay, uh, what? I didn't want to, but I, I, how do I say no to Robin Williams? Who mm-hmm. am I to say no? 
that's what the movie's about, how that all came about and how we started a show and mounted a stage show as a tribute, but also a recreation where I would suit up and go on stage for an hour and do whatever Robin wanted me to. Uh, yeah, uh, as I mentioned, people can uh, can check the film out at uh, beingrobinthemovie.com. We're going to ask you about this uh, stage show in just a minute. But uh, uh, Matt Plays, if we can, let's let f- folks hear the trailer to Being Robin. Cool. In the winter of 2014, I was convinced that I was possessed by the spirit of Robin Williams. I can't eat at Domino's anymore. Why? Because it gives me pizzeria. <laughs> I had a remarkable experience that I can't explain. And it's breathtaking and exhilarating. I'm Robin Williams. Something goes through you. He came back. You could ask him what he's doing here. What did you come here to do? Trick or Good to have you back, Robin. Thank you. I could feel his presence in the room. <laughs> No, no, no. Very authentic. It's all fake. There was nothing phony about it. Fugazi. What's your name? Reverend Williams. <laughs> What's up, my brother from a broken rubber? <laughs> this is a delusional disorder. <laughs> really? I've never seen anything like it. He's diagnosed with bipolar. He lives through me. I've been trying to get a hold of you. I'd like to talk to you. It's been a while. I couldn't stop it, and I didn't want to. We were on a mission. What's on your mind, dear? That is the trailer to Being Robin. Uh, My guest is uh, Roger Cabler. Uh, So. Roger, you're not only this is now not only a film, but it's a, a stage show, and uh, people have the yeah. opportunity to see it uh, this week, right? If they're if they're in the New York area, yeah, it's at the Triad Theater uh, tomorrow night at seven o'clock. There are tickets available. There's plenty of tickets for thirty dollars. Um, you know, the prices were were cut so people could see it. This is going to be sort of a farewell tour. I've been doing the show for almost ten years. And a lot of people have embraced it and told me, thank you for bringing Robin back. And I was like, I've been blown away by the response. It's, there isn't any show like it. And it's, it's not like a clean cut, you know, scripted, ordered show. It's kind of like a seance where hmm. the more the audience laughs, the more Robin, I can feel Robin experiencing it. So you're feeling something of Robin in the room. And even uh, uh, Cindy Williams, who was Shirley on Laverne and Shirley said, I feel Robin, you know, when she saw this thing. And I, you know, she hugged me, she grabbed me and was like holding me and saying, I feel Robin. And I was like, well, thank you. This is what I, you know, this is what I set out to do. 
And Robin and I have been writing for, you know, we just come up, you know, and I just, I feel his presence. And this show, you will too, if you see it. Uh, I would love, and, and you know what, I feel his excitement about coming to New York and sort of buttoning the nine or ten years, however it's been, with a show in New York off-Broadway. And if somebody, and there's going to be some backers out there, want to take it to another level, that's cool. I would love to. And the movie will be available as soon as we clear uh, December 4th. We'll hear from Sundance whether or not we got in there. And after that, I can put it for sale again. Right now it's on hold because you can't sell a movie while gotcha. You know. Gotcha. But so, if you want the film, you write to me at Facebook. My name is Roger Kabler, K-A-B-L-E-R. Friend me, and I'll, I will get you a copy of the film. $10. So, Roger, if, uh, by the way, if people, and when you say tomorrow, it gets a little confusing this time in the morning for some people. Um, when you say tomorrow, it's, it's, it's Saturday, right? It is Saturday. So tomorrow is Saturday. I'm aware that it's Friday, even though it feels like Thursday. Right. Well, for some, Having, for some. I'm picking pecans out of my teeth, so it feels <laughs> like Thursday. I get it. I get it. Um, Roger, if people want to get tickets to that show at the Triad, how do they do that? Do you have the uh, online oh, phone yeah. number? It's Eventbrite. If you just Google my name, Roger Cabler, uh, it'll come up. There'll be an Eventbrite, or there'll be several outlets. You can call the Triad directly, too. You can go on the Triad website, and you can buy tickets there, or you go on Eventbrite. I don't have a phone number, though. I think uh, I could. Yeah, you no, I'll, I'll dig it up. Don't, don't. Well, Robin Williams Tribute, it's out there. Robin Williams Tribute in New York, any creative way to find it. It's a small theater, so you got to do it today. Don't wait. <laughs> do it now. Got it. Hey, you know, be... anyway, in, go ahead. in looking at the trailer, Roger, you know what's interesting to me is that you you physically look like Robin. Uh, I mean, you take on his facial expressions. I'm wondering if people have remarked about that, uh, how uncanny the resemblance is with the two of you. Well, I don't normally look like him. I look like I look more like Robert De Niro. And by the way, the second half of the show tomorrow night or Saturday is called Over Actors Anonymous, and I do a lot of other impressions. Um, and that's the fun of it. You do Robin the whole first act, and the second act is, is you know, and I take requests from the audience, and it's in a format that's like a twelve-step program for people like Al Pacino, who can't help to fire and spit to win an Oscar. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. It's all about their inability to just, you know, keep it on a certain level. They all, you know, they're all Jack Nicholson and a lot of, you know, Joe Pesci. Yeah, you know, I got I to gotta freaking do this, you know, kind of thing. And De Niro's, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of running it. Christopher Walken's in there with a nervous breakdown. Sean Penn has got diaper rage. I do something called Godfather the Musical. It's a crazy show. There's music. It's, it sounds it's, terrific. Yeah, it's fun. By the way, if people, and, uh, if people want to get yeah. tickets, they can call uh, 212-362-2590. That's 212-362-2590. Uh, Roger, obviously there's going to be some people that, uh, that hear about this and think that you're kind of being exploitive of um, the memory, the talent, the legacy of a great entertainer, and they feel maybe this is not fair to his fans. Or oh, maybe actually, even his family. The, I'm sure you've heard that criticism. What do you no, think? You're the first person that brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> How, let's Is that, that true? Now. No, of course not. <laughs> um, but let me get back to your other question, Frank. I'm right behind you. Um, 
I don't look anything like Robin Williams for the most part. I, I can make a face look like him. There's um, people that have thought that was Robin in the movie. And like, dude, are you going to get sued? I'm like, that's not Robin. And I wrote a letter to his family saying, look, uh, before I make this movie, I want you to know this is a love letter to Robin. And um, first of all, I'm going to explain the second part, but I just said that I'm not using any of his images or voice in this movie. It's me. And it's my story. So just in case you guys haven't heard the first part of this, in case you're just tuning in, tell them what he's won, okay? It was <laughs> not my plan to ever be on stage again. I was happy being a painter living in the woods. Robin ambushed me and brought me back in. And no, I'm not a carnival man trying to buy or sell something. I didn't want this. I did not want to do this. I was very, very... And the film is all about that. I had said no... The agent called, do you want to do this? I said, no. It's not... It, it, it is in some way probably hurtful to their family, to his family. So I don't pursue them. Mm -hmm. I don't need them to see this. And there have been people that have gone that way, but I think when they hear the story, they understand that I was compelled to do it. It's, I'm, not, I'm kind of broke. I'm not like a big guy sitting on a pile of money here. This is not what it is. I'm the only one doing it. And I, and I think if people have that opinion, we even express it in the film. It's a hoax. He's doing it to cash in on Robin. But for the most part, it's really, really been embraced because of the way, the way we do it, the way it is, man. I'm not, I'm an empath. I'm a, I'm a shaman. I'm Jewish. I'm a painter. I'm not this big showbiz creep. Uh, I'm sitting here in a hotel in Fort Lee, New Jersey, exhausted from nine years of going through this thing with Robin, and I need to stop because I'm tired and I'm 61 years old. Are you listening to me? Stop it. <laughs> stop doubting me. I'm tired. I'm doing my own thing now. Um, and I do the other impressions too. But with Robin, it's not an impression. It's, a, it's, it's an act of love. My feeling mm -hmm. about Robin, I just want to say this, is that I was so devastated by his loss, I'd do anything to keep him alive. And that's, that's a big part of it. Whether it's supernatural or I'm crazy, he's, you know, in conscious with me, like he is with everybody. My experience is that I, I did this to try to keep him alive in some way. And if hmm. you understand uh, that... Roger. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, if people want to see the show tomorrow, uh, definitely they should check out the Triad Theater. It sounds like it's going to be really something. Best of oh, luck. Let's talk again soon. Thank you so much. I'm Thank sorry you. I blathered on, but I appreciate you. Thank hey, you. Please. Please, uh, a, they call it a talk show for a reason. We encourage talking. All right, uh, if you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with uh, Roger Cabler, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. On this, the morning after Black Friday, the morning after Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe your day's just starting. Maybe it's just wrapping up. Either way, we're happy to have you. Uh, you want to jump on board, you could certainly do so at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If uh, you're interested in checking out some movies today, we're going to talk movies with uh, Debbie Schlussel next hour. And something tells me we'll get into the Middle East as well. I'm actually just kidding. I am going to ask her about the Middle East and some other um, you know, stuff that's happening in the news you know we were talking about pie with uh, Suzanne Miller earlier my mom had purchased from uh, a friend of ours a homemade apple crumb pie and we bring this to my mother-in-law's yesterday and lo and behold there was already another apple crumb pie there so Okay, my brother Daniel had, uh, brother-in-law Daniel had went out and got one of these apple crumb pies, and he got his from a store. Ours was homemade. So I said, let me do a blind taste test. It was actually my wife's idea. We had no ice cream, so we used Cool Whip. And let me do a blind taste test, not knowing which is which. Try both apple pies, apple crumb pies. I have to tell you, far and away, the homemade apple pie was better. Then, my sister-in-law, Deborah, and her husband, um, Simka, they're kosher. So they brought all their own food. One of the things they brought was an apple pie. So uh, I said, all right, let me try the kosher apple pie as well. That was by far the worst. So of the three apple pies that I tried yesterday, I'm talking a, a taste here, a taste there. That was the, the ranking. Homemade, store-bought, I think from... Uh, stop and shop, and then third was the kosher apple pie. Nothing against anybody that observes a kosher lifestyle, but that was not for me. I mean, if you have nothing else to eat, I suppose it's better than nothing, but not for me. You know, we were watching the uh, football games yesterday, and uh, Dolly Parton was performing. We played a little Dolly earlier. She was performing at halftime at the uh, Cowboys game, and it prompted, first of all, she looks great. For a woman in her late 70s, she looks incredible, sounds incredible. And it prompted a discussion about her marriage. My mother-in-law mentioned, oh, you know, she's still with the same husband all these years. I said, but yeah, I think their marriage is kind of open. Well, apparently their version of an open marriage is they allow one another to flirt with people. I'm skeptical. I think that marriage might be a little bit more open than we're led to believe. But who am I to judge? Nobody. Until next hour, your influence counts. Be sure to use it.